Welcome to You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. Are you a startup? Wearable company? Don't know where quite to go from here? Well, you have the questions, and Spectrum Ergonomics has the answers. Go to our company website at www.spectrumergonomics.com and click on the link wearables. There you'll find a wide variety of services and other contractors that we work with to help make your product become a reality. We're here to help you through the process of iteration to packaging and beyond. I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of You Wear It Well. And on today's episode, my very special guest has a, well, it's beyond ingenious, but what do I know about it? Dr. Nguyen, who's the very special guest, knows about it. So I'll let him talk about this very ingenious idea and project that he's working on. So Dr. Nguyen, the show is yours. Thanks so much. My pleasure. I'm so uh, excited to be here and share with you the research that we've been working on for the last three or five years at, at UConn, at the University of Connecticut. And happy to answer any question that you have. All right. Thank you. Well, when I first read about your implantable, I was almost like, really? That, I mean, this, is, this can happen. I mean, as a physical therapist, I know about ultrasound. I mean, we certainly don't put it inside the body. Uh, we put it next to the body and it, it, we don't use it for imaging. We use it for therapeutic treatments, but I'm very familiar with it with uh, therapeutic imaging. So when I saw this idea of it's implantable, and you're using it for brain cancer and with uh, chemotherapy, I thought, wow, this is something I think we need to let people know because I can see this technology could also branch out to other aspects of medicine. So tell us a little bit about how you got interested in this field of, we'll call them wearables and plantables. Sure. My ultimate interest is to you know, integrate the engineering knowledge with, with medicine and bringing a very impactful technologies that it can help people. 
help patients to improve the quality of life. That's that's my ultimate interest. And so my lab working on a lot of different things. And this biodegradable ultrasound implant is one of these technologies that we develop in the lab. And so why we want to do the implanted ultrasound device instead of putting it outside of the body is because for the patient who, who has a solid tumor in the brain, uh, which is a crazy type of cancer and the survival rate is very low. You know, the survival time is very low. And so uh, what, whatever we can do and to improve or to, in, to make the survival time is longer, we would do it by any means. And so usually for those people with a solid tumor, the doctor come in and do a surgery to remove the tumor. And so they, they try the best to remove everything, but there's always some residue or some residual cancer cells still at the tumor site. And so the normal way to completely kill the cell is try to put in the chemotherapy or the chemo drugs. Uh, we have a lot of chemo drugs which are very powerful. And so medical doctor can use them to kill the cancer effectively. However, for the brain, it's such a difficult tissue to get the drug into that because the, the common way to get the drugs into any type of tissue is from the blood because the blood vessel can go into every single places of the tissues and, and help us to cure off the, the cancer if there's any. And so to facilitate that kind of drug delivery, the, in the brain, you need to overcome a very special physiological barrier, which we call as the blood-brain barrier. And this is formed by the tight connection between these blood cells inside the, inside the wall of the blood vessels. And so usually you can put, the traditional way to do it is you put ultrasound device around the skulls. You have a lot of them. And you can focus all of this ultrasound energy into that spot inside the brain. And that all of this ultrasound device would have to provide a very high intensity of the, of the ultrasound to penetrate the skull of the patient and focus all of this energy into the cancer tissues. So doing that, uh, basically, you have to put the patient into an MRI machine, basically a magnetic resonance imaging technology. That's a very typical imaging technology in the hospital. You have to put the patient into that machine and monitor the brain, uh, looking at the brain at the same time you, you shoot out the ultrasound from different devices outside of the brain. And so doing that is very inconvenient and you, you have to spend hours in the hospital to tune the ultrasound and using the MRI to look at the brain at the same time so that you can make sure the ultrasound can go directly into the tumor tissue. And secondly, you, this ultrasound need to have a very high intensity because you need to penetrate through the skull, the bone in your head. And that can cause a big damage to the brain tissue because if you don't focus it nicely onto the tumor, then uh, all of these devices outside of your body would, would shoot a very high intensity of ultrasound into the brain, into the healthy brain tissue and damage the healthy brain tissue. And because of that problems, that, that when we use the ultrasound outside the skull to open the blood-brain barrier, we need to implant it. And so originally there has been work using 
very traditional ultrasound device implanted into the brain and can locally stay there to to basically shoot the ultrasound directly onto the tumor underneath of the device. And so you can do that repeatedly, just that the patient can go home, you can turn on the button and can shoot the ultrasound repeatedly, uh, maybe several days, once every several days or weeks. And that can help to deliver the chemotherapy repeatedly into the brain. And after the surgery, you know, the patient can go home and you can do that repeatedly. And, and, and that helped a lot to get the drug into this residual uh, cancer tissue effectively and cure off the cancer and improve the survival time of the patients. However, again, this traditional ultrasound device is made of very traditional materials, which is technically ceramics. And, and so ceramics is very bulky, you know, so when you implant it, it's it not really you know, nice to the brain, which is often soft. And secondly, it's non-degradable. So at some point, you have to remove it from the brain and that can easily cause damage onto the soft brain tissue as well. And that, that those two problems is why we came up with alternative and, and that is a, a biodegradable ultrasound device that we make out from very safe materials like amino acid or uh, surgical suture materials like polyalactic acid we have reported. That's fascinating. How did you get interested in this particular aspect of implantables? I mean, this is obviously something that's a very specific usage for ultrasound uh, when you're talking about brain cancer, because you've you explained so well to the listeners why we need something. Again, the blood-brain barrier posing problems for, for the chemotherapy drugs to get through. So what was your interest? How did you get interested in this? It's a very unusual, but a very ingenious and very well-needed technology. I guess it's the same reason for all of the research in my lab is that we want to help patients please to improve the, the patient quality of life. Uh, and so any medical problem that we can help, um, we definitely want to do that. And in my lab, we specialize in this materials, so-called uh, piezoelectric materials. What it means is when you apply the electrical power into the material, it can vibrate. And if you can choose the electrical input with a certain frequency, the device or the material can vibrate in the, at the same frequency. So, so if you use a very high frequency, like 40 kilohertz or, or 1 megahertz, which is uh, ultrasound frequency, then the device vibrate very quickly at the same frequency and create this acoustic wave that has the same frequency, so-called ultrasound, right? And so because we've been working with this material for a long time, we try to see what we can do with these materials. And at the same time, with my ultimate interest is, is whatever we can do to help the patient when reading about the usefulness of ultrasound on helping us to open the blood-brain barrier, one question come up to my brain is that, why don't we use our device? Why don't we use our material for this kind of applications? Because we can avoid, uh, you know, this problem that the current ultrasound device had. First of all, they're really bulky and they're very, not very nice for implantation. And second of all, they're non-degradable. And here in the lab, we have a material that it can generate ultrasound it's very safe for implantation. We actually use it for the knee implantation in which we use it to treat 
uh, osteoarthritis. So, so it's very safe. We know that. And then third, degradable. So when you implant it into the brain, you don't need to remove it. And the removal surgery is always a, a big problem with, with the brain implant. And, and that's why we came up with, with a project in which we try to use this material, develop a device that is safe, is flexible, is soft like a tissue, and it's degradable so that we can generate a powerful acoustic wave or an ultrasound that it can help us to open the blood-brain barrier and treat the brain cancer effectively. Next question, which I think a lot of listeners are probably wanting to find out the answer to. On the average, how long will this implantable ultrasound last in the, the brain environment with the cerebral spinal fluid and, and, and all those around it? And was that a challenge to find materials that will withstand the cerebral spinal fluid, which is a fluid around the brain and spinal cord. And then talking with oncologists, these cancer doctors saying, hey, you know, it's going to take us three months or on the average it's six months. Or So how did you come up with the materials that would be able to last X number of months in that particular environment of the brain? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So the way that we do it is that it depends on how long the medical doctor wants to treat the patient with the chemo drugs. We would need to make the device last for such a long period of time accordingly. And so the way we do that is we can engineer the device. So the device, the core of the device is the piezoelectric material, as I said earlier, uh, which can vibrate under the input of the, under the electrical input and that vibration generates the ultrasound. However, besides that materials, there's an encapsulation layer, which we make, we use, a, again, a very safe and biodegradable synthetic polymer that is used for like surgical suture. We use that polymer to encapsulate the material, the piezoelectric material inside the device. So how long the device lasts, it depends on this encapsulation layer. So you can increase the the degradation time. If you can increase the degradation time of this polymer coating, then you can increase the lifetime of the device. So you can make it thicker or you can chemically tune the molecular weight or, you know, basically on a, the number of the atoms inside your polymer. Then you can increase the uh, functional lifetime of the device. And so you can do a calibration. You can make a, a different thicknesses of the encapsulation and you can tune the, the chemicals of the encapsulation and you can see and you can choose which one going to give you that lifetime that you expect to have for the device. And you can pick that as the, as the, uh, the parameter that, that you're going to choose to make the device and implant it and test how long it's going to last for inside the brain. Um, so that's the way we're doing it. And we can tune and we can uh, obtain whatever lifetime that we want. Uh, however, currently, I think there's still, that c- could be a pro- probably the, the biggest limitation is that how we can make the device last for a very long period of time, let's say like a year. So we have some polymer that it can make the device last for weeks or months, but to make it last for a very long time is it, still a, a, a hurdle inside the field of biodegradable implant or biodegradable electronics. And so, because 
when you're doing when you extend the lifetime of the encapsulation one thing you have to make sure is when you chemically tune it you need to make sure that the new things that you're adding to this encapsulation layer it also safe and biodegradable and so how do we you know obtain both like one we can extend the lifetime by chemically tune it but at the same time this this chemical tuning need to make sure that you don't make the encapsulation layer becomes toxic to the brain and becomes uh, non-biocompatible to the brain so um, that is actually a big problem in the field of biodegradable electronics and biodegradable implants so it sounds like the the polymers that you're talking about i know from just people I've talked with, with on the show here over the years, that the, the polymers seem to do well in other environments, uh, for instance, around the heart, abdominal contents. So did you run into some difficulties taking that polymer technology and then saying, okay, now we're putting it into the cerebral spinal fluid environment. What's it going to do there? Because obviously fluids have different viscosities. They have different chemical makeups. Some have a higher pH, you know, more acid, more alkaline. So what were some of those challenges? Because you said that now you'd like to see, can we keep in for a longer term? So what were some of the initial challenges of taking these existing polymers and saying, okay, how are they going to withstand right. cerebral spinal fluid? Yeah, so, so I think there's so many different types of polymer. It can be biocredible. It can be safe as well. And basically, different people using different encapsulation polymers to make sure that the electronics or the implant work well for yeah you're right i mean different environment we need to test the device in different environment for different types of applications for the brain i guess for the brain because the brain is such a precious tissue the immune rejection or the foreign body reaction is usually the biggest problem for materials and also the degradation byproduct, which you need to make sure that it's very safe for the brain. And so that needs to be tested more rigorously in different animal models. And eventually, if everything worked well, we would have to move to the clinical trial and test it in human. But so far, for, for our device, when we test it in the small animals like mice, it looks very safe to us. It degrades very nicely and very safe. We can make it last for about one to two months. And longer than that, we still need to work on, like I said, the engineer, the encapsulation layer. And we test that by implant into the body, into the brain. So we currently, I think that everything we do is we have to work with the brain. We definitely don't want to testing something outside of the brain. And so I think that it definitely need to have a extensive research to looking at how it interacts with the brain to make sure that it's safe and the lifetime that we can achieve is, is, you know, is what we want it by implanting directly into the brain. So that's what my lab going to do. We want to test it in the large animal model is like mini pigs, which we hope that we can get what we want to, to see. And if it works, then we definitely want to move it to the clinical trial and test it in human brain as well because not only different tissues has a different environment but different in vivo model and human always different from the animals and so uh, that's why this work is still at the early phase even though we got all of these good results in in small animal model but it's still a lot of work for us to make sure that it's safe and effective in human 
There's a real spoken truth there. As excited as we get it when we first see these come out into the research, we have to understand too that there's still a long way to go, but very exciting to move in the direction that you are to be able to move to larger animal models. Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services provides a broad array of design and engineering professionals for your wearable project. We feature the following design specialties, pattern making, digital textile, athletic wear, sensor, fashion, exoskeleton, robotics, and mechatronics. We also offer beta testing of your wearable in our private clinic. You choose the demographics and sample size, send us the sample, and we take care of the rest. For more information, go to www.spectrumergonomics.com for more information. Hey, if you're a startup wearable company and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website, www.spectrumergonomics.com. I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well.